All right. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you in worship today as we continue our series. If I could tell you one thing, and I certainly have one thing to tell you, but it will probably come out in multiple things. Uh, But first, I want to, how many of you have ever watched uh, reality shows that revolve around music, like American Idol, The Voice? Okay, so one of the things that makes me very uncomfortable about watching those is you'll have these contestants who, uh, you know, arrive for their audition. They're going to go before the judges, and uh, they highlight their story. You know, their family members and their friends are telling them that, yeah, you're great, you're awesome, you are it. You are what they're looking for. And it's this beautiful, touching story, and then the contestant gets in there and sings, and it's just awful. And, and, And part of me wonders, you know, why weren't their loved ones as honest and forthright with them that this probably wasn't the best thing for them to do, that this is probably harder than you think it's gonna be? And much of life is like that, where we anticipate it being a lot smoother without as many hiccups along the way, and then we get there and realize it's much more challenging. It's harder than we thought. The Christian life is no exception to that. I remember when I was first wrestling with this call to ministry, and I was on cloud nine. I was excited to tell others about Jesus. I was thrilled to be able to share with my friends of the forgiveness and the love that only God can provide. But then I realized that there are a lot of things that make the Christian life challenging. There are a lot of things that make the Christian life hard. The late theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said this. He said, to flee into invisibility is to deny the call. Any community of Jesus which wants to be invisible is no longer a community that follows him. You know, there are many challenges each of us face in this life, one being that we have to be in ministry with people who don't necessarily look, think, or live like we do. There's also moments and times where it takes time for us to cultivate habits and spiritual disciplines like prayer and reading the scriptures and serving one another. Those things just don't happen overnight. We also have to grow and learn that there are times when our words can do more harm than good, where our presence and the stillness of God is just as powerful. So why is the Christian life so hard? Well, the first is this, because we make a public commitment in a world where public commitments are often pitted against one another. Think of how many times somebody has made a statement of some sort, some public profession. There's always going to be somebody or people who are upset by that or who are unsettled by it. We know this from pop culture. We know this from politics. We know this from pretty much any entity that has a sphere of influence on the general public. You say one thing, somebody's bound to be upset. That's just the human nature we're a part of. But Christianity is no exception. There will always be those out there who want to challenge who it is we are and what it is we have to say. And so it raises this question of visibility. Being a Christian entails a certain degree of it, of visibility, and visibility has its share of challenges. To be a Christian in the public sphere is not the easiest thing necessarily. 
Let me ask you a question, and by a show of hands, how many of you here today are either sporting a cross as a jewelry piece, earring, necklace, maybe a tattoo? How many of you have some sort of cross on you today? Okay, quite a few. The moment somebody sees that, they start thinking things. They start gathering thoughts, for better or for worse, about the type of person you are. And we can make the same case for things like bumper stickers, right? We can make the same case for uh, people like me who are pastors who, uh, so for instance, when I go visit folks in the hospital, I often wear a clergy collar. But I know that when people see that, they're probably gathering different pieces of information about the kind of person I am. But visibility in the Christian life has always been a challenge, even since the days of the early church. So when these early Christian communities were gathering early on in church history, uh, they were always perceived as this sort of exclusive group of people couched in some questionable behaviors. Some even went as far as to say that when these Christians were practicing Holy Communion that they were practicing cannibalism. But visibility in the Christian life is less about the image and more so about the intent. In other words, is the intent behind why we choose to be visible agents of God in this world, is the intent important to us? Is the meaning of the Apostles' Creed clear to us when we recite it? Is the Lord's Prayer something we understand when we pray it, or is it merely just a habitual rhythm that we partake in? Jesus had a lot to say about our intent when it came to spiritual practices, one being prayer. And one of my favorite passages in Matthew's gospel, he has a lot to say about prayer. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. You know, there's often a tendency to get into this idea that prayer has to be this fancy, well-worded, convoluted, complex essay when we pray. And yet Jesus presents something drastically different. He says it's more so about your intent and your attitude toward God in that very moment. It's not about the right words. It's not about the right posture it's not about being seen. That's his biggest problem is here is a case where visibility for some has turned attention all back onto the individual when really it's about God's relationship with each of us. The Christian life is more than the individual because we compose a body. We compose the body of Christ. You know, think about baptism with me for a second. Whenever we have baptism, it's always a communal event, and there's no accident in that. When you see somebody up here being baptized, not only is God pouring out a public grace upon that individual, but we 
around, gathered, watching, are also reminded of God's baptism in our lives, that promise God has made in our own hearts, in our own lives. And so we can't negate the public communal aspects of our faith. And that's what makes it so hard. We really want it to just be about me and Jesus. Jesus is my BFF and and we'll do stuff together, but everything else doesn't matter. But the more we make our faith a private affair, we lose sight of a faith that ultimately transcends boundaries, that transcends all obstacles. You know, one of the amazing things about Jesus is that he presents a way of life that's drastically different from what the people know. And so the second thing I wanna share with you about why the Christian life is so hard is because it presses against the status quo. It paints a different portrait of a life that you and I are accustomed to day in and day out. And one of the things about that is that You know, here in Northern Virginia, we're all about getting to the next thing. We're all about achievement. We're all about success and reaching that next thing on the ladder. But what's important for Jesus when he sends the disciples is that this is more so a life about living sent. Living sent. And so when he starts to give the 12 this direction, he begins to paint a picture of what that life looks like. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for laborers deserve their food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who in it is worthy and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. You know, being a sent people is a challenging thing because we always like to stay put. We like to feel comfortable. We like to feel that we have some degree of security. But the Christian life is not about feeling settled. It's one of living sent, as I mentioned. And I want us to think critically about, as we go from this place today, what does it look like for you to live sent and not to live a life of feeling settled? And the first reason why is because discipleship is not ours to choose. The direction that discipleship takes is not ours to choose. What do I mean by that? Jesus clearly tells the 12 that they are to go to the lost sheep of Israel, And if we go further in the scriptures, we see how that definition extends to the Gentiles, and then it extends to the ends of the earth. And so the critical notion is that we are not the ones who choose where God sends us. That's important. But it's really hard because we often want to be in control of where we go, right? 
We want to be the one making the choice, making the decision. But the reality is that God's already at work. God's already moving in the places we go. We just get the opportunity and privilege to participate in what God is doing. What do I mean by that? You know, it's very easy uh, to go into a place and stick out like a sore thumb sometimes. But it's in those spaces that are different than what we know that we have to cast aside our privilege or positions that can often get in the way of ministering among other people. We aren't the ones who bring God to rural Appalachia to do home repair ministry. God's already there. How are we noticing God? We aren't the ones who bring God to the dementia unit or into the prison or to Sakwa, Kenya. God is already moving and God is already there. But the bigger question is, are we bold to notice God? Do we see the way that God is at work in those places with removing the blinders that sometimes get in the way? I think of people in this church often when it comes to this. Because if we start looking at the Christian life as something that's about self-reliance, because we're so accustomed to the provision and the security and the stability that are favorable to us on a regular basis, then we have a lot of work to do. Because the Christian life is one where our reliance is fully on God. And so what if we went about this life trusting that that reliance was fully on God. I think of people like Angela Notham, who leads our Route 1 delivery team every month. And she witnesses the way God is at work because she has established friendships with the men and women along that route. Men and women for whom uh, their self-worth has been taken from them. And Angela has built friendships that are intentional and meaningful with those very men and women. I think of our Celebrate Recovery leadership team and the ways that they are creating a neighborhood and a community where people can come in no matter what baggage they may be carrying, but a place where they can truly believe that their true identity, their premier identity is in Christ. I think of people like Bob Flanagan who has the biggest servant's heart I know. Bob is out here outside in the front of the church all the time doing yard work. But what I love about Bob is he reminds me that the Christian life is more about what we say and how we spout it out. It's about how we put it into action, how we live that gospel life out. The Christian life is hard, but it's not impossible. Jesus then goes on in this passage to tell the disciples that they're going to do all these amazing things to further the kingdom, but there's a catch. They aren't getting a dime for it. Add on to that, they can't take a change of clothes. They can't take a bag for their belongings. They can't take sandals. They can't take a staff. It's just them and God. Boy, is that scary. And the icing on the cake is that there are some who will not receive them with open arms. And there are times where they will have to do a lot of dust shaking along the way. But the beautiful thing is that God is with each of them every step of the way. God is with them on the journey that they are on. 
God is with them through each and every moment. But the greatest fear is what happens when we lose momentum? What happens when this gospel life becomes burdensome or we become burnt out? Have you ever felt that? Where we, we do so much to further the kingdom and then we reach this stale point. The Christian life is hard because it invites us to consider our brokenness. That we are broken people. That we can't do anything without God. That we are helpless without God. It's hard to reconcile with that reality. You know, I think of Moses. Moses is tasked by God to lead God's people out of Egypt through the wilderness. And you know how people get. People get hungry. People get angry. People get hangry. People get frustrated. People get irritated. And so you have to, you know, kind of empathize with Moses when they start getting under his skin just a little bit. And he reaches this point where he's ready to throw in the towel. He's got to start letting some things go. But enter into the equation his father-in-law, Jethro, who's a Midianite priest, and he begins to notice something about Moses. And I'll let the story play out from Exodus. The next day, Moses sat as judge for the people, while the people stood around him from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for people? Why do you sit alone while all the people stand around you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another, and I make known to them the statutes and instructions of God. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You will surely wear yourself out, both you and these people with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel and God be with you. You should represent the people before God and you should bring their cases before God. Teach them the statutes and instructions and make known to them the way they are to go and the things they are to do. Friends, I don't know about you, but there have been many times where I realized in this Christian life that learning to say no was probably the healthier and godlier choice to make. Have you felt that at times? Sometimes we say yes to too much, but God never wanted us to carry the weight of this by ourselves. In fact, there are many times where we perhaps would do well and benefit from somebody like a Jethro figure in our life, somebody who can enter our lives and remind us that we are not God, that we can't do it by ourselves, that there's more to life than solving problems and fixing people because that's not our job. We are broken vessels, broken vessels redeemed by the grace of God. And it's hard to be able and confident to name that for ourselves. It's hard to be able to say, yes, I am broken too, and I can't do this without God. For faith in God is also not something we can understand on our own, and certainly without the accountability of those around us. And then there's perhaps what 
I believe, and maybe you can relate to this too, one of the most challenging and difficult things about the Christian life is the message of good news that you and I proclaim, the apex of who we are, because we believe and proclaim that life does not end in death, but resurrection. Have you ever thought about that? You know, Easter is the highest, holiest day in the Christian year because of this very piece of news. It's the definitive aspect of who we are, and yet if you think about it, it sounds beautifully radical and in some ways comforting. But how can I possibly preach that? How can I tell somebody else about that? And they believe it, they trust it. You know, when I was ministering at Duke Hospital to children and their families, it was always a challenge to think how a gospel message of hope could possibly reach people who the only thing they had on their mind was that their counts were low or they had six months. How could God present a message of hope to them? But then I thought about the way that until we live in that tension of death not having the last word, that's when we truly see the beauty that is this Christian life. Sort of the very image that John had on the island of Patmos in Revelation. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down of heaven, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, see, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his people's and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. God's promise of a new heaven and a new earth often meets us when we are confronted with the very edges of our human condition. But if you know somebody who's always lived that gospel life through and through, through their very being, it's a beautiful reminder that we aren't the only ones who get to carry this good news. I have a friend named Anne. Anne was a member of this church. Anne was a beautiful, amazing person who lived a faithful life with God. And shortly before she passed away, before Christmas, I was reminded of this very reality, this very notion of a God who doesn't let death have the last word. She shared with me about the beautiful image she had of when a bunch of people from Christ Church came over to sing Christmas carols to her. And she said, Pastor, if that's not the glimpse of God's heaven meeting earth, I don't know what else is. And it was that moment that I remembered that our God doesn't fail us. Our God is always steadfast and faithful. But it's in that moment of living that witness that we get to see who God truly is. Being witness to the good news of Jesus Christ is not about credibility, but a lived conviction of things unseen. You know, think of Mary Magdalene. She goes to the tomb and she realizes Christ isn't there. And then she is moved to go and tell, to go and share. She could have stopped right there and said, do you think they'll believe me? Do you think they'll look at me like I'm crazy? 
Or in that time, do you think they'll challenge my credibility because I'm a woman? Will they hear what I have to say? But you and I, when we share this good news, in spite of the broken vessels that we are, we share a good news more so because the truths have already been given to us. We just get the opportunity to share it. The truth that God is love, that God is the great physician, that God is forgiving, that God is unrelenting. That's the truth. And so two Fridays ago, when I was looking at the bishop at that kneeler, and he was looking into my eyes with one of those like very holy deep gazes or whatever, and, and he's telling me, he says, take thou authority as an elder to do this and do this and do this in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I'm sitting there and eight years leading up to this is flashing before my very eyes. Eight years filled with schooling, papers, seminary, baptisms, marriages, Bible studies, uh, everything in between. But then I was also thinking about you know, the hard times. I was thinking about the losses, the pain, the anxiety the moments of struggle and doubt. But him looking in my eyes reminded me that we can't do this without God's help. That's what reminds us of God's faithfulness. With God's help, we are able to live this life boldly and with the utmost degree of faith because God's yes, my friends, far outweighs any and all of our abilities to ever say no. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you. We thank you for the ability to lean into the foundation that you give us, that none of this can be possible without your role in our lives. No matter where we fall short, no matter where we struggle, you are alongside of us. Just as you were with those 12 disciples being sent out into a world that they didn't know well, but you carried them through and through, and now we see the beauty that is your church, a church of which your son, Jesus Christ, is head, a church that inspires and enables us to live out the gospel life without fear, without trepidation, because ultimately our reliance is on you. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. So we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, amen.